Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. I'm Dr. Bill Kanaski. This podcast is brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Go to courtroomsciences.com. Bunch of great stuff on the Courtroom Sciences website. Uh, frequent flyer this morning, but for a very different reason than usual, Mr. Mike Bassett. Mike, good morning. How are you doing in Dallas this morning? Doctor, good morning. It, uh, I think it's only going to be like 174 here today, so we're excited. I, um, summer in Texas. See, in Florida, it's only going to be 95. It's just it's a little moist here. It's a little moist. Yeah, you beat us on humidity every day. Yes, we do. Um, Mike, despite our tech troubles this morning, I'm glad we finally got this thing kicked off. The reason for this podcast uh, is really to introduce and uh, hopefully promote um, your new book. I am happy to call you not only friend and colleague, but now author. How does it feel to be an author? You know, I think it may still be sinking in. Um, it, it still feels weird. Like when you said author, that it still sort of doesn't quite fit yet. It's humbling to say the least. Mike, I have actually, uh, and it was long ago, uh, I have authored two books. So if you want to do a deep dive on uh, Amazon or uh, one of those sites, you'll, you'll certainly find those. They're not, they're not what you think they are. All um, right, now you, I'm making a note. I'm going to look. So, so author, author to author, we can talk about that. Um, but I think that you'll like you'll like what I wrote. You'll, well, the one thing you're going to like, I don't think Got the it. youth, I don't think the youth uh, football uh, coaching uh, playbook is going to help you out. But the other, the other one actually may help your, may help your staff. Um, Mike, the title of the book is called "The Man in the Ditch," and I was thinking this morning. The title's not the man in the hole. It's not the man in the abyss. It's the, it's the man in the ditch. Did you know by definitions that all ditches are man-made? I did not. Yeah. There, I, I found a certain irony to that, that you, you chose the word ditch, and all ditches, by definition, are man-made. Um, tell us what, the, without giving us too much information about the, the book and the story, which we'll talk a little bit about, we'll give some hints. What is the ditch? You know, I think the ditch is a place that you find yourself, Bill, in life. Some ditches are deeper than other, others. Uh, many of them are self-made ditches. Some are made for you and you're pushed in them. But for me, the ditch was a place I found myself because of a, a series of bad decisions and faulty worldviews. That was the ditch for me. And this, this is from... Um... This incident you're talking about is from what, 2002? Uh, everything went down in 2001, and then everything blew up in 2002. So this is a story about redemption. Um, and I, I, want, I, want, I want to get into it here, but let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me back up. This had to be an extraordinarily um, mentally challenging time for you. I, what? I, that's it, like saying Tom Brady's just a quarterback. It yeah, absolutely sucked. And it was one of those things, Bill, where the wound would just about heal and someone would come along and just not only rip off the scab, but yeah. squeeze lemon juice and rub salt in it. And that's um, and I'm sure that went on for a long time, didn't it? It did. It did for years. And yeah, this is this is really a, a, a terrific story. And again, I, I'm, I'm going to get to it. Do you think 
that people in your profession, particularly more specifically trial attorneys, tend to be more susceptible to the ditch than other people or other professions? I do. You and I visited about this when we were on the phone the other day. Yeah. My experience has been, and you know, I see the world through, through my lens, but in 34 years of trying lawsuits, I think I have seen that trial lawyers are a different breed to begin with. They're probably very, I will not say egotistical because that sounds pejorative. Most of them have a very strong ego. And I think that they run oftentimes there can be super focused and then yeah. at times maybe not so focused. The adrenaline from trying cases is not unlike going through a firefight because you are for three or four days on constant high alert. I mean, you are just running on adrenaline and you and I have talked, the adrenaline drop after a trial yeah. is, is real. I just got done trying a case a week ago we got the verdict on a Wednesday afternoon and Thursday and Friday. If I was running half speed bill, that was a, that was being generous. So yes, overall, I think a lot of trial lawyers, myself included, are very susceptible to the siren song that can union you up in the ditch. And we've talked a lot about mental health, particularly this year, but mental health for attorneys, I think it's finally getting, uh, I think across the board, it's actually uh, getting, uh, getting a, a lot more respect and, and a lot more attention. But I think you're, I think this, um, I think this profession, and even if you're a consultant like me, who's going along on that ride with you, um, you know, from battle to battle, uh, the emotional ups and downs are incredible. I mean, I know I have, um, uh, I was talking to my accountant the other day and she's, yeah, like, you know, two months out of the year, like my life is crazy. I go, really? That's funny. Cause, uh, 12 months out of the year, my life is crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little, and I, I certainly have empathy, uh, in, uh, March and April for the, uh, for the accounting, uh, uh folks up there, but, but I think it's just not the same. Mike, before we get into the, I want to get that 30,000 foot view of your story. Um, talk to me about the importance of failure in professional development. Oh, I think without failure, nobody's going to develop. Nobody learns anything, Bill, when the sun is shining and the clouds are not in the sky and it's all blue. It's yeah. nice. Don't get me wrong, but you're not going to grow. I mean, from a physiological perspective, the only way things grow is if they're broken down and torn apart. And I think that failure is our greatest teacher. It's a horrible teacher. I wish it didn't have to be that way. But you look back in your career, and I can, I can look back on mine. My biggest moments of growth have arisen out of the times that I failed. Agree. Agree. Yes. But you had to fail first. Um, had to. And, and you can't be afraid of failure and that's, otherwise yeah. you just, you, you never get in the batter's box because you're afraid of striking out or grounding out or getting hit in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's um, I'm going to take a step to the side here. And another topic that's come up a lot, not during this, just, just this podcast, but it's a very popular uh, topic um, uh, just in the legal industry and there's two headaches that trial attorneys have right now, millennial jurors and millennial attorneys. <laughs> Let's actually talk about millennial attorneys. We could talk about jurors a different time. Millennial attorneys, I've heard nothing but complaints about 
they see failure very different than the boomers, the Gen Xers. There seems to be this, like you're almost not a lot, like failure is unfair. And if, if I failed, then obviously I've been cheated or I've been misguided. I got, I got screwed versus personal responsibility, accountability. And you see a lot of these, again, this is not a popular topic. It's an important topic, Mike, because it's affecting everybody that I've talked to is you have this mass of millennial attorneys bouncing around to jobs, bouncing, 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 either because they fear failure or they failed and they, they cannot redeem themselves and they don't want to, I just, it, it's a weird phenomenon, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I do. And, and we can say millennial jurors and, and we're not only painting with a brush, we're painting with a roller at that point. We have got yeah. some millennial, millennial attorneys in our office that are just killing it. But That's great. I agree with you. And here's what, this is my theory. These people have been trained or thought or raised to view first off failure as just not something you do. I mean, it's just not. Yeah. And if you do fail, then, you get a trophy. You get a trophy well, if you fail, right? Well, but if you do fail, that means you, the person, are broken. Yeah. Which makes people so damn afraid of failing. Yep. But like you said, the world is working against you. And neither of those things, at least from where I sit, of being a trial lawyer, neither of those things bode well for this profession. No. No, you're you're going to lose in this profession. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's, it, you, you are going to lose and you are going to lose big. Now, sometimes the victories are on bigger stages. Sometimes the victories or the, the failures are on bigger stages and sometimes they're on small stages. Like I told you two weeks ago, I was in trial. I got my butt beat soundly, soundly. It happens. It how, happens. Do you, how, how do you mentor younger attorneys to get them to not fear failure when they're when they're probably coming into your system pre-wired to fear failure or reject failure. I try to always put them in situations that make them just a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So the, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Now I'm not saying throw a, a young lawyer into something where they're going to commit malpractice. Yeah. But yeah, every day make them do something that is a little bit different. And more importantly, let them watch other lawyers, Bill, get up you know, yeah. to the batter's box and strike out. And then realize it's okay. It's okay. We go on. Yeah. I think this is a topic we're going to have to keep hitting in the future. Okay. Back to the book. Back to the book. Um, I attended your virtual launch party last night. Thank you so much for the invite. That was great. Uh, you, got some, you got some great questions. If you could do what you did last night, and I believe it was Mark, attorney Mark Perkins, because you're talking about you, you gave this very important speech, which I have viewed. You sent me the video. Uh, and the speech kind of led to the book. It was really the found. You called it the chassis. The speech was the chassis. Can you can you tell our viewers, give us the, the three or four minute kind of mini version of this speech that you gave and and the the kind of basic overall story of, of what happened to you? Because the one thing you said last night that, at first shocked me. And I was like, wow, maybe he's right. Is you said, this seems like a wild, crazy story. This probably happens more than you think. And no one talks about it. Why don't you tell us the story, Mike? So I'm gonna, I will tell you the story briefly and then sort of how we evolve from there. So we go back, I believe the, I believe the year was 1994. I've been licensed about seven years. 
I've left a very, very prestigious term, uh, firm here in Dallas, Coles and Thompson, probably one of the top civil defense firms in the state. And I go out with a bunch of folks who have broken off from Coles and Thompson. And I get a call from a TPA, you know, third party administrator that I work for that says, listen, we've got a new case. Here's your point of contact at the trucking company. We'll call him Sam. So I visit with Sam. We get a case. As you know, Bill, if you do well, sometimes one thing leads to another and leads to another and leads to another. Yeah. We ended up getting quite a bit of work with Sam. Then uh, when uh, my former partner and I split off from that firm and opened our own firm, Sam's business followed us. He was one of those guys, Bill, that in the trucking world knew everybody and everybody knew him. Yep. He was a kingmaker. He was on a lot of boards. His, his The companies that he worked for had a lot of business. And you and I both know that trucking litigation, these are big, meaty cases. These are not you know, little car wreck cases. No. And so Sam and I hit it off. We became good friends. At least I thought we were to the point, Bill, to the point where I had him in my home. He broke bread with my family around my kitchen table. He went to mass with my family. That's amazing. And so he was also one of those guys that was very involved in his cases. He was incredibly smart. And every time there was a big deposition or a mediation, he would be in town. So we got to work with each other a lot and he trusted his lawyers and let you do what you needed to do. So in 2001, I get a big box uh, at the office and I look and it's from Sam, which did not surprise me because he was very generous. So I opened the box and there's all of this swag from the Green Bay Packers. I think they had either been to the Super Bowl or were going to the Super Bowl. And so he had put in signed footballs for my sons autograph or uh, jerseys, Packer jerseys, a couple of prints, just a lot of neat stuff. So I called him. I said, Hey man, this is, I really appreciate this again, Bill. This was not a surprise. I mean, this is a guy yeah. who was, he says, Hey, great. I'm so glad you liked it. Did you see, I sent you something. And I said, uh, no, I mean, I see a bunch of stuff for the boys, but no, uh, but I listen, don't worry about it. He goes, no, there's something in there for you. He goes, there's some envelopes at the bottom of the box. So I dig at the bottom of the box because I'm not dug all the way through it. And there's a couple of envelopes and they have three checks in them. And they're from the trucking companies for whom he works and they're made payable to my law firm, but they're not for cases I'm handling because like you, I know the cases I'm working on. Yeah. And I said, Sam, I, I see these checks are made to us, but these are not to our firm. There's a mistake. He goes, no, no, there's not a mistake. Those are for you. And I said, well, they're not, we don't, these are not cases we have. He goes, here's what I need you to do. You just run these through your trust account. It's about 10,000 bucks and uh, we'll split it. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> that's trouble. No, no. I said, no, we're not going to do that. He goes, no, I really, uh, that's what I need you to do. I need you to run them through your trust account and, and, and split them. And so I knew Sam pretty well, at least I thought I did. And, and I knew that sometimes he lived fast and loose. I said, Sam, do you need money? I mean, if you need 10,000 bucks, I'll loan it to you if you need it. I mean, if you're in a bad way, he goes, no, because I just need you to do that. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. And so there was a pause and then a new guy comes on the phone, at least voice wise. And he says, here's what you're going to F and do. You're going to F and cash these checks and you're going to give me the money. And if you don't, I will tell everybody in the trucking industry that you have lost your shit. I will pull all of my business and a lot of other business will go with it. So now you're like, okay, 
my career versus, you know, hey, doing yeah, this I mean, to and, calm this and guy at that down. point, at that point, my best memory is that was about a half a million bucks a year in business. Yeah. It's a lot um, of money. And so I cashed the checks. You cashed the that, checks. Yeah. That's the story. That that is the story in a nutshell. Yeah. And um that was a mistake. Um, yeah, <laughs> Huge that, mistake. Uh, and you'll have to buy the book to read, to, to, to read, to, to read uh, what happened, but what happened was in the end, and maybe it was somewhat of a rocky path. Describe the feeling of redemption. Cause see, that's what the millennial attorney needs to figure out is that, yeah, well, failing sucks. The feeling of redemption could be the greatest feeling in the world. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, you know, I'm not going to even use the word feeling. It's a process. Yeah. And the process of redemption is still painful because it's humbling because you realize that you cannot, you cannot write yourself out of the ditch without somebody helping you out. I mean, that's yeah. the cold, hard truth, Bill. You need yeah. to have someone help you get out of the ditch, which means <laughs> for those of us who are type A personalities, we have to ask for help and allow others to help us. And I don't know about you, but that's not something that came easy to me. No, that's that's more difficult. I'm fortunately learning how to do more and more of that. Uh, <laughs> As your so the process of the, redemption, really, I think it transforms you. If you truly, if you truly work through these mistakes that you make and you come out the other side, like I say in the book, everybody's going to end up in the ditch. You will end up in the ditch. Hopefully, it's not yeah. as deep as mine, but shit, there were some that were deeper than mine. You can stay in the ditch. You can certainly do that. And you and I know people that do. They, they fail or something bad happens to them in life. Now, mine was completely self-inflicted. But, you know, Bill, it just as could have easily yeah. been where I did nothing wrong. And, you know, hell, it's a cancer diagnosis. A family member gets taken too early. Yeah. And a lot of people stay in the ditch. But I don't think that's where you need to be. And then if you come out of the ditch, then the, really the question is this, Bill, do you come out a bitter, smaller, pissed off version of yourself, which you can do, or do you come out a better version of yourself? And like I say in the book, the choice is ours. It's not an easy choice, and it's not easy to do. But I think that's the, one of the greatest gifts we have is we can say, you know what, this happened to me. I can't change that. But boy, what I can control is how I handle it. And when through that process of redemption, I think it makes you a better version of yourself. It makes you more compassionate. Uh, it makes you fearless, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, 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 what's a jury <laughs> going to do to me when I try a case for a client and I lose? Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it, put, it puts yeah. things really in perspective. Absolutely. It really does. If you let it. If, 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 if you let it. What... Um... This is a rhetorical question. What class in law school taught you how to deal with situations like these? Or let me guess, there was no class, was there? No. <laughs> how do, um, and I don't even know, I mean, because I'm sure this would not be a very popular um, conference topic at a legal conference. Uh, but this, again, like you said last night, situations like this probably happen all the time maybe not to the extreme of your situation maybe more subtle versions how do you mentor and teach i'm assuming you tell your young attorneys listen if you feel something slimy is going on come to me 
and tell me, right? I mean, absolutely. So first off, there was no class in law school that taught this. Now they yeah. teach you ethics, which is, I mean, important, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, there's no meat on the bone about the stories. I believe that this is a talk and this is a topic that needs to happen at all legal conferences. I'm going to be so bold. Yeah. And law students need to hear this talk because if you're not exposed to it, when it happens to you, it, you're shamed. You yeah. keep it a secret. You think you're the only person that's ever done something this stupid. And so I think that we need to have this discussion more and more. And you say, you know, well, maybe it didn't happen as, as, as severely as, as I did. Let me tell you, I have heard a couple of stories after giving this talk over a cocktail that I'm like, wow, wow. That probably were never told before your story because people were scared or embarrassed or. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, and yeah, a bunch of, I've never told anybody this or nobody knows this happened to me on both sides of the docket, friend, on both sides of the docket. Mm -hmm. it's really amazing yeah it's it's amazing but to your point i think we need to get it out there because then people will come forward and my goal is to help people before they get to the ditch and if you end up in the ditch that's where you are but man if i would have not been yeah. so bold and arrogant and insecure i would have made a lot different decisions wow you you mentioned and by the way i've, I've read the whole book cover to cover and one thank you one one sitting it was fantastic you had mentioned right before this incident with sam you had mentioned kind of the glowing pride and confidence you had as an attorney maybe even to the point of arrogance and you've heard the phrase pride comes before the fall talk to me about how you have to be careful with pride because it can come back to uh, bite you yeah. So, I mean, at this point, I'm a, this all happens. I'm a, uh, you're a hot shot. You're a hot shot. Yeah. You're hot, you're hot shit, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a 13 year lawyer. I'm on boards of national organizations. I've got some blue chip clients. I'm, you know, trying cases for clients in other States. Yeah. I mean, I thought I was really high speed, low drag. The problem was I believed it. <laughs> now I, don't get me wrong. You and I both know as a trial lawyer, when you get ready to start picking a jury, you better believe you're going to win. Yeah. You, otherwise, you're going to lose for sure. But I, you know, I was breathing my own exhaust. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that I was really God's gift. And I thought that I, me, Mike Bassett, was the one that was going to carry the load, which was absolute bullshit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you live, you learn. Mike, tell our audience where they can find your book. I know you have the website. Uh, is it, is it man in the ditch.com? The man in the ditch.com. The website is there. You can order from there. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. You can get it on targets. You can get it on Amazon. There's also on the website, a link where, uh, if you want to invite me to speak in an organization, it's there. It'll go to the folks that do that for me. And I'm happy to speak because again, the more we talk about this bill, yeah, I think we can avoid people ending up where I was. I was fortunate. I mean, I came out of the ditch. That yeah. could have ended very, very differently. And we know, you and I both know lawyers or people in our community that run in these circles that take their lives because they end up in the ditch. Yeah. Yeah. And you alluded to that in, 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 into the book. So I guess that puts me into the final uh, question. Tell our audience about the role that your wife played in your redemption battle. 
Because wow. it sounds like without her, you'd be pretty screwed. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, people have said that the, the, the title of the book needs to be the man in the ditch, the luckiest son of a bitch in the world with a great wife. And yeah. I, I probably that that is absolutely true. I mean, she was my constant companion. You know, she was the one that said, no, you're going to be a lawyer. This is what you are called to do. And she stuck with me now. And I say in the book, it wasn't sort of this, um, you know, it's all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. There yeah. were some hard conversations, sure. but she was there the whole way. And that's one of the things I talk about in this book is loyalty. And one of the things that is so important to me, even more important than it was before is loyalty. Because when you are in the ditch, a lot of people tend to just ignore you. There are people that you and I know that yeah. you and I know that we oh, have yeah. spoken about that. You don't know this that when I went in the ditch, they would not only not return my calls, but they actively went and sought out my work. Amazing. It happens. It happens. Yeah. So, but without, no, without Liz, without my wife, I'm a dude sitting on a stoop drinking a 40. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, 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 I understand what you're saying. Uh, and I uh, really congratulate you. And I hope this book's really successful. Hope you start the speaking tour. Um, now, I asked you last night and I didn't get an answer. And you've had all you've had. You've had 12 <laughs> hours to think about this. So when the epic movie comes out, I mean, is it who's going to play Mike Bass? Is it is it Tom Cruise? Because listen, remember the movie The Firm? Yep. It's kind of a similar. You got a little similar style here. And Tom, Tom knocked it out. I'm going Tom Cruise on this. You, I mean, what do you think? I mean, you know, I did think about it last night because I told my wife, I said, leave it to Kanaski to ask this off the wall question. Yes. And, you know, I thought about it. And you know who I want to play the movie that will never happen, by the way? <laughs> Me, Mark Ruffalo. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Good actor. Mm -hmm. Good actor. Either that or Billy Bob Thornton, because he is just too damn weird. <laughs> He is, yeah, he is very strange. He is very, very strange. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on uh, the podcast. You and I uh, have pretty much almost talk on a daily basis, and I appreciate that. Looking forward to getting uh, having a very busy fall uh, with you, both with uh, witness trainings, hopefully a couple mock trials here and there, because we got some uh, big battles coming up, don't we? We do. We do. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for coming on. And for our audience, thank you very much for participating in this latest edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. We will see you next time. <laughs>